This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. podcast. On Tuesday, September 11th, 2001, at 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. A well-coordinated attack had begun. Shortly after, at 9.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175 flew directly into the South Tower, witnessed by thousands. In just moments, the world changed forever. Our safe little world was infiltrated with chaos, fear, and anxiety. A little piece of everybody died along with the 2,996 victims. Terrorism is putting violence on display for all to see, so that the targets will comply with minimal use of force. On September 11, 2001, the 19 hijackers succeeded in that goal, temporarily. The battle plan that seemed to be perfect underestimated the resiliency of America, screaming from the top of our lungs that we will never forget. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice, and welcome to the Suffering Podcast. If you're a fan of overcoming adversity and overcoming suffering, then we're for you, because that's what we do here, and that's the stories that we highlight. So do me a favor, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, please comment, and don't forget to join. Ring the bell so you can get notified of all of our new content, and follow us on social media so you can find out exactly it is what we're up to. On this episode of the Suffering Podcast, I'm all alone. No, I'm just kidding. It's just me and Mike in the studio. Because we're going to go over one of the darkest days in our human history. American history. American history. And that's the tragedy of 9-11. Now, one of the things you're going to notice, Mike, is we're recording this pretty close to 9-11. Uh, but we're not going to air it for a month. Yeah. we're. I mean, we decided to not air it right after 9-11. We don't want to exploit it. No, we don't. We never exploit anything here. So but, why? We, also, but we also don't want people to forget. Exactly. And, and that's the whole thing. I mean. You know, what do they say when someone dies, once their name is last spoken, that's when they forget forget about them? We'll never forget about 9-11. No, we sure won't. But let's throw a big shout out to Toyota Hackensack. They help us keep the lights on here. We don't trust anybody as police officers, but we do trust Toyota Hackensack. So if you're looking for a car, go to toyotahackensack.com. Now, Mike, we're going to, it's just me and you in the studio today, but I did pull a social media question. <laughs> We're here with all our friends. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody who loves us. Yeah. This, <laughs> the name of the person who sent in this social media question, I, that, I pulled it just for that. Uh, I'm sure. It's go underscore fudge underscore yourself with a U. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's our fans. That. Yeah. That's our yeah, fans. That's our type of fans. <laughs> but it's actually a really good question. And uh, go fudge yourself writes, what's your biggest fear? Mike, what do you think? Aside from Puerto Rican engineers <laughs> <laughs> who look like Adrian Brody, my biggest fear is fire. You know, it's too unpredictable. You know, I, I've in, in our law enforcement career, I'm sure you've been in a lot of burning buildings and, you know, you get in there and that, that smoke overcomes you. And you can't even take a deep breath in. Were you a firebug as a kid? I was. Allegedly, <laughs> I remember there was a there we was used to a, light things on fire all the time. Yeah, you you burn a match and you're just staring at the match. That flame is magical. Yeah, that little match flame. But when you're in a house that's burning, whole different story. It's you know it's the giver of life, okay, but it's also the destroyer of life. You know, fire and water, two opposite forces, both can save your life and take your life and take your life yeah, very easily. It's just too unpredictable. <laughs> 
Fire. Fire. Too unpredictable to me. Yeah. You know, it just. Well, that's why we became them. cops. Yeah, exactly. Not firemen. They, yeah, exactly. Mine is a, mine's a little bit different. You know, um, early on when I, when this podcast was started, you know, that my original co-host dropped out and I got kind of caught with my pants down. Um, that's why you pay me so much money now. Exactly. Exactly. And this was before you were even a thought as a guest, believe, believe it or not. So now I, I am overprepared, which creates a lot of anxiety for me, but I am always overprepared. So if, if I know we're doing a show next week and I do my research that my outline or my research is done a week prior. And I, and we always have episodes on the back burner in case there's an emergency with a guest or something like that, you know, keeping myself prepared to probably my own detriment. So it's, it's a fear of being unprepared. Correct. Correct. I, I just can't stand that feeling of like having to do everything. I, I feel so if you ever waited tables, uh, wait, waiters and waitresses will call it a uh, being in the weeds. OK, you're just you're chaotic. You used to have nightmares. We used to call them uh, we, used, we used to call them weed mares. And yeah, when you're waiting tables, that's it's a real thing. You just you, you're you know, you got 50 orders and they're all up at once and everybody's wants water. It's it's kind of the same thing. You're just unprepared for everything. You know, it, it's almost the same thing with getting somewhere on time. Oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm five minutes, 15 I, minutes early. I hate sitting in traffic. Mm. You know, Tom Coughlin, the great coach of the great New York Giants, said one time, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, it's inexcusable. Well, it just happened to me and my wife. We're going down to uh, Atlantic City to to just a weekend getaway. And I wanted to – I knew there was going to be short traffic, and I wanted to leave early. And, you know, it's it, it didn't work out. <laughs> so we're sitting in traffic, and I'm like, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. I told you. You know, and it really – in, in reality, it it's, really – It's not a big thing. No. It's not a big thing, but I like to be there. You know, I, I like to – I'd rather sit in the parking lot for 15 minutes – then fight traffic. Say, are we going to be on time? Are we going to be on time? Yeah, you're 100 percent there. So that that's a it's an interesting question. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I'm still afraid of, but I will say this: it's okay to be afraid of stuff, but true courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. Overcoming your fears. Yeah. So I'm sure you ran into burning buildings, and there are times that without I'm thinking about it, yeah. you know, just go in and do what you got to do. As long as it's not paralyzing. So go fudge yourself. Thank you so much for sending that one in. Keep sending in your questions. We will try to get them on the air. Um, fudge yourself from Mars planes by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she, uh, it's, it's a girl, I think. I, I do believe it's a girl and uh, she lives around there. Um, but anyway, you know, so we wrestled with this particular episode. We could have filled this slot with a guest, but we we wanted to pay homage to 9-11 and we in, want it to be a more intimate setting. In our own yeah. way. Absolutely. In our own way. And I don't think it's fair, because this is, I, what I really want to talk about today is our ex personal experiences with 9-11. We touch on it from time to time in the shows, but I don't think anybody's ever real, heard the whole story of our true experiences of 9-11. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, both of us weren't there, so we don't know that whole experience, but we have our own you know, recollection of it. Well, we had a front row seat to it. That's the problem. You, you'll hear people throughout history, and there's big events. You know, the old timers, the World War II We're, vets. 
Where were they were when Pearl Harbor was hit? Where were they when John Kennedy got shot? Right. So that's that's our parents' generation. Our grandparents' generation is is Pearl Harbor and so forth and so on. But you also got to remember, people in this particular area, in the New York metropolitan area, we had a front row seat to one of the biggest disasters yeah, in history. Without doubt. Kennedy getting shot happened in Dallas. You know, Pearl Harbor happened in Hawaii. And That's when, world's when away. was Kennedy? 65? 63, November 25th, 1963. Wasn't even born yet. Right. So I wasn't a twinkle in my father's eye. I've seen the Zimbruder film a million times. I've watched everything. It's fascinating, but it's history. <laughs> the grassy knoll. <laughs> and we didn't live it. Yeah, we didn't live it. Yeah. 9-11, you and I both lived through it. And I try to, I try to tell my kids what it was like because to them, that's nothing more than John F. Kennedy. My son was three months old. Mm-hmm. Three months old. He was born June, June 3rd of 2001. And the World Trade Center was right after that. He didn't really live it. He doesn't. So that had to be a whole new level of anxiety for you. Without a doubt. You don't know what kind of world you're going to raise your child in. You know, my, my ex-wife, I mean, we'll get into it a little later, but my ex-wife said to me, because my, my in-laws had a house in the Poconos, she said, get home right now. We're going to go up to the Poconos. I said, I'm a cop. I can't run from this. Us in law enforcement, the first responders, you know, even fire and EMT, you can't, something happens in your area. You can't just run away from it. Well, there was only one place in the town I worked in. It was a, a company that made like the decking for aircraft carriers, which is apparently highly toxic. And they, we were, to, I was told during FTO, if that place lights on fire, just start heading towards Pennsylvania. That's what I was told. Yeah. There's a lot of places, but this is a little different. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is war. Yeah. It's a war in our country. I mean, we're being attacked. So how did your day start off that day? You know, it was a Tuesday morning, you know, with beautiful Tuesday morning. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Clear skies, everything like today, you know, it's which kind of amplified the whole optics of everything because yeah. you saw it. I was going to be working the afternoon shift that day, three to 11. And I was I picked up an extra detail. We had just checking trucks into uh, a baler facility, you know, waste disposal and all that. <clears throat> it was in North Arlington, down the Meadows. You could see the New York skyline from where we're at. So they had, they had a TV in there. You know, we used to just sit there and watch TV all day. And I brought my police radio with me. And one of our guys says he's going to be doing traffic on one of our roads that pretty much over, overlooks the New York skyline. He said, I'm going to be up here doing traffic. He said, I don't know if you heard a plane hit the World Trade Center. But at that time, a plane hitting the World Trade Center or any building in New York wasn't a, a, cor- a, a cause for alarm. Yeah. I, I know it sounds bad, but, you know, I, I've said this on the show before. Corey Lydell, pitcher for the yeah, Yankees. exactly. Crashed who, into a building. We crashed into a building and it was, you know, it was a Cessna. It wasn't any big deal. Planes hit, the, hit those buildings all the time. And that's yeah. what people don't from this area don't understand. Those high rises, they used to get struck all yeah. the time. I mean, it's, it's an easy target, too. Yeah. You know, so I'm sitting down. I look over my shoulder and I can see the World Trade Center on fire. How many years do you have on at this point? Well, I was hired in 96, so it was 2001, so, so five, five years, years or so. So you had enough time on to have the wherewithal and knowing what the job is. Yeah. Yeah. You knew, you knew what was going on. So I, I turn on the news and they have coverage of it and they're they're talking about 
you know, plane at the World Trade Center. We don't know what's going on yet and blah, blah, blah. So I look over and I'm, I'm looking at the World Trade Center and I could just see the, the building burning. As I'm looking at it, I actually saw the other plane hit the building. Witnesses with my own eyes, not on TV, nothing like, I mean, listen, we're 10 miles west of New York City. The World Trade Center was like that. But you could still see, I, I really didn't see the plane, but I just saw the smoke start coming out the other building. You could see it from where I was, which was Persephone. All right. But that's later in the day. You could see the buildings burning from where I was yeah. at that point. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it was, I remember the guy, the newscaster on TV said, uh, oh, another plane just hit. We can't confirm that it's terrorists. I said, you don't hit both buildings in one day and not, not. Think that's, about it's a terrorist act. That's some really bad luck. Yeah. You know, my day, I was in the police academy at the time. I got hired on June of 2001. Police academy started in August. So we had some time. We had a little bit of time in the police academy. We did our PT. We were supposed to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. We did our PT, showered up and everything. And that was an interesting thing, showering a bunch of Irvington guys. Emasculating. <laughs> um, that's, that's a, yes, that's a whole other show in itself. But good guys, awesome guys. I love them dearly. We're sitting in class, and um, the captain of our of our academy, I uh, just said, call him Captain Jack. I <laughs> I remember him very well. He was one of those old time sergeants, wore the nut hugger shorts. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And he was still in his PT gear. He used to run with us. I mean, listen, the guy was in shape, but uh, <laughs> but you know, high socks <laughs> with the stripe. This is 2001. The three stripes on the top of the Yeah. <laughs> three stripes, nut huggers. We used to call them grapes because you could always see them. And I'm sitting, uh, I'm sitting in the, it was about the third row back. To the right of me is, is a female transit officer. And he comes in and says, hey, uh, listen, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. Like we just spoke about. Oh, that's, that's no, that sucks. sucks. Yeah. That's, that's bad. I hope, I hope everybody's okay. Um, you know, a little while la- later, we don't really know what's going on. They continue instruction. Uh, about 20 minutes later, another plane just hit the World Trade Center. They're scrambling uh, jets. And you could hear the jets. I was in Cedar Grove, New Jersey. You you can hear the jets. We're in. So our training class was the old range in the Essex County Police Academy. So it's a brick wall. And it's it's pretty much soundproof except for the doors. I've been, you, I've been to a couple classes up there. So. so you can hear the jets going across. The fighter jets. It's yeah. You're like, holy shit. And when that's when I'll never forget it. First of all, the the woman next to me, the female officer next to me, her father worked in the World Trade Center, happened to work for Cantor Fitzgerald. So she had more concern than the rest of us. But when that second one, I remembered looking over at her and I saw her face and her face and she was red haired girl. um, Her face went stone white. She goes, oh, my God, my dad's in there. I was like, Jesus Christ. And. It was chaos. Instruction stopped. Um, everybody, you know, the, the captain was kind of, I want each department to call their department to see what they want to do. The department finally recalls us. Um, Put you out on traffic posts and stuff like well, that? Well, before they recalled us, they're like, there's a, there's a blood mobile in town. We, we know this is going to be bad. Go give blood. All right. So if you want to go get, if you, if you want to stop, give blood and then come in. So I stopped and I gave blood and because I was in uniform, I'm in an academy uniform and I gave blood just in case. 
but what color is your academy uniform? <laughs> it was blue. It was blue. We wore gray with a black tie. <laughs> oh god! At least we we had patches on and we we had a badge and we had nothing like that. So it, it, it was we sort of look quasi police, <laughs> but we had the the baseball cap, you yeah. know, and um, our ours just screamed recruit. <laughs> so I finally get to the police department, and as I have to work my way through the traffic because traffic all of a sudden went yeah because everybody just everybody just jumped out of work yeah they just left work so i had to go through west orange i had to go up mount pleasant avenue and i was hitting eagle rock and eagle rock reservation you have a perfect view of the new york skyline and i'm looking and i can see it i can see the towers burning i can see this this giant plume of smoke and i'm like oh my god because you got to remember the town i I was hired in. I one of the questions I asked during the interview was like, "Hey, have you ever you ever lost any officers in a shooting?" No, um, you know, I, the questions because this was a job. I, I wasn't taking this to be a warrior. I was taking this because it was a job. And then all of a sudden, this quiet town that I was employed by, it, everything changed. Became chaos. Yeah, it was it was chaos. Yeah, the dispatchers absolutely. are three deep on the desk, and, and our dispatch could be manned by one person. Three deep on the desk, taking phone calls. People are calling them, and I can hear them as I go into headquarters saying, "No, we don't have any word." Because people are calling up. My husband's in the World yeah. Trade, or my wife's in the World Trade Center, and I get in there, and the strangest thing happens. So we had this old lieutenant, old time lieutenant. He goes up in the armory, and the chief says, "Get him a gun." We hadn't qualified yet. <laughs> Okay, but again, nobody knows what's going on. Gives me my magazines, gives me my weapon. I, I'm wearing a belt, no gun. No gun, yeah. yeah. They used to give us the red guns. Well, yeah, I think I, I might have had the red gun in there. Uh, Looked like I had some sort of domestic dispute. <laughs> Put on a rubber gun squad. Gives me my gun. Think about this. Gives me my gun and says, don't shoot anybody, kid. That's exactly what he said. Unqualified. I'm out on the road with a gun. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Could you imagine the liability to that town? Oh, my God. But that gives everybody a window into how chaotic it was. Absolutely. You know, we are at we all knew that this was an act of terrorism. There was no mistake in it. We are at war. Yes. We're under attack. Yes. You know, an icon of the New York skyline just got destroyed. Now, the funny thing is, is the year before I'm a brand new police officer the year before. Uh, I had just stopped working for Toyota and I, I did well in sales. So w it was called the gold society or something. They took us, they, they, you went out to dinner at blue. It was Murata blue. It was the, it was the restaurant on the top of the, world, top Trade of the world trade center. We ate there. It was a wonderful dinner. It was filet mignon. And then we stayed at the millennium Hilton. They got us a room in the millennium Hilton. So that was the night. And that night was, that was weird. Cause it was, it was a real warm day. And the next morning we woke up, it's snowing out. So that was the year prior to that. I had just been there. And I remember going up in those elevators going, my God, man, this is really, this is really high up there. It's, I'm sorry, it was Windows of the World. Windows and it, of the World. And the bar on top of Windows of the World was blue, Murata yeah. blue or something. I like remember that. Windows of the World. Yeah, so we, we, <clears throat> we had that meal there. And I'm watching this live on TV because there was a TV in headquarters. I'm watching. I was like, oh, my God, I was just there. You know, and that, that happened to that. A lot of people had that experience. You know, we were just there. We were just in New York last week. We were just here and you just narrowly escaped the death. Well, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I 
always had like Jeeps when I was younger and everything. And we used to go down West Side Highway or right past the World Trade Center, go to my father's club. And we take the roof off of the Jeep. And you, as you're driving by, you just look up for it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Just stare at it. I mean, it was, it was the looking up at the World Trade Center. It was just like astounding. You know, it's like, Jesus Christ, look at, you know, look at that. You know, it was a miracle of architecture for me. Oh, absolutely. Me coming from, there's nothing like that in Atlantic City. The casinos, yeah, they're high, but the World Trade Center is so much bigger. Yeah, it's just, and it's it's world renowned. You know, that's the epicenter of the universe, really. Well, you get you got obviously recall. You went back to your police department. Yeah. What what happened is after the, the planes hit, like I said, I was working a side detail, and I called the guy that runs it, and I said, I gotta go. I said, I'm, I'm out of here. So I went home. Did you put in your timesheet? <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> Come on. Come on, I'm a cop. You double dipping <laughs> motherfucker. No, I only put it until when I left. Okay. I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't take the extra hours. So I went into headquarters and, and our chief was in there and he gave everybody who came in, gave him a car and said, we, we had to go to different hospitals in the area. I mean, we went up to Ridgewood, to Valley Hospital. We went to... Uh, Meadowlands Hospital in Secaucus, Hackensack University Hospital. We were picking up doctors and we we're dropping them off at uh, then Giant Stadium and they were busing the doctors over to New York. So I, I picked up a doctor or two and I think it was Valley Hospital, if I'm not mistaken, dropped them off and went to Hackensack University Medical Center. When I got there, they said, we're not sending any more doctors over. And they're not finding too many survivors. Do you remember where you were when the towers collapsed? Or the first one, the, I think the North Tower collapsed first, if I'm not mistaken. I was actually, I left the side job and I was actually going home to get all my stuff to go to work and everything. And, and that's when it collapsed. I didn't see them actually collapse. Yeah. You know, because I was, I was en route to work and so I really didn't see them collapse. But I could tell you that the, the smoke, like I said, we're, 10 miles west of New York City. Smoke came right up. By that night, the smoke was all through our town. Well, you looked at those wildfires that recently happened in New York, and I happened to be in New York during those wildfires. Coming home, going past Giant Stadium, it was like a, a giant... Fo- I, was in a, I was in a cloud. Yeah. I was in a cloud. And that's coming from Canada. Yeah, the Canadian wildfires, I mean, that came right down the East Coast. Right, and so... And everything it, looked like orangish. Right, but... <laughs> World Trade Center was very similar as far as you're being that in that close proximity. I was 20 some miles away, so I didn't get that experience of it, but you're too close. Yeah. A couple days after one of my best friends from since we've been like nine years old, uh, Donnie Robertson. That's what this is. Donald Walter Robertson. Um, he worked for Kenner Fitzgerald and he was lost in the World Trade Center. Cantor Fitzgerald got decimated. Nothing ever found. Yeah. No, family really has no closure. Like I said, he was my best friend from when we were nine years old. Um, His sister called me and said she was going over there. You know, going to put up posters and, you know, because nobody knew what was going on. You know, 
people are going over there trying to find loved ones, hoping that maybe they got hit in the head and they were just roaming the streets. Maybe they got out. Maybe yeah. the evacuation plan worked. Nobody yeah. knew like the extent of the the jet fuel coming down the elevator shafts. Like yeah. maybe the elevators were still worked and they they got them in a secure location. They got to debrief them. They got to do whatever they got to do. Because we got those calls in the police department. Yeah. So it's funny. A guy I played college football with, Don Adams, died. Worked for Kenner Fitzgerald. Um, and also the person I went to the police academy with. You know, they're all gone. Anybody that worked for Kenner Fitzgerald and Donnie. Donnie was a mountain of a man. Had a personality twice the size of his stature. And he was able to call his wife and say, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. I love you. And that was it. And Don was no more. Now, this is a guy who was probably 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, every bit of 320 pounds. And for and I'm thinking to myself, God, that, like, for, but. It's one of those guys you think nothing could ever take him down. They, I think they found a finger. They found something to identify him. And every year I sit there and watch the memorial and I watch the A's and, you know, there's posts put up on social media from all the people I played ball with. Um, I miss him. And, you know, you remember good stories about the friend that you lost. My story about Don is we were playing Upsilon College, your brother's, your brother's alma mater, and there was a fight. So we got marched out. I'm not a small guy, but Don towered over <laughs> me. And we got marched out the side, and we had to get on the bus in our uniform. And with those coach buses. <laughs> and Don, I don't know why they put him next to me. We were just trying to get out without getting killed. I had to sit. I sat from East Orange to... Uh, to Madison, Madison, New Jersey, like this, <laughs> up against the window. Like Bill and Ted, excellent adventure. Like if you look at the, the cover of that, that's what I was. I got I got more out. like dumb and dumber. <laughs> and but I and and here's the worst part. Don was farting the whole ride. It was like <laughs> I, I know what the Vietnam POWs felt like in the tiger cages. That's what I and I'm claustrophobic anyway. But God man. I have tons of stories about Don. I, I, I think about him often. And I'm sure you have plenty of stories about your buddy. Oh, yeah. I mean, we wanted to go to Seton Hall Prep together our freshman year. He wanted to transfer out and go to Columbia. We went to playing against Columbia. And like I said, I, I kept in touch with the family. And his his parents call me their their son now. You know, because they, they, they lost their son. Lost you know? And that's... That's terrible. One thing I want to ask you, what what was your, when you watch all the, the coverage of it and everything, what was the most graphic things you saw about 9-11? I, I, honestly, I, I can't watch it. So I'm a big documentary guy. Like if History Channel, if I'm watching YouTube, it's a documentary. And I watch documentaries about everything. Like I'm a big Civil War buff. I like World War II. I like history stuff. World Trade Center stuff, I can't watch. I recently just watched a podcast, Mr. Ballin, about the World Trade Center. And all it is is him telling a story. And it was difficult for me. It was really difficult because you could feel it. But they, they had that movie with Nicolas Cage. And I just, I, 22 years later, I still cannot watch anything about the World Trade Center. It's like a mental block from me. But... The, of the little that I have seen, because that, that night when I went home, I, I watched the news like everybody else. The little that I have seen, it was the look on people's faces. The, of, with, with the soot all over their faces and everything else. 
blank look, just no emotion, no fear, but no direction either. Probably one of the most frightening things to see out of New York. Yeah, I mean, it, and we weren't there. Could you imagine being there and not knowing? Listen, we didn't know what was going on, Mm-mm. and we were outside of it. Could you imagine people that were there not knowing where they're going, what they're doing? They shut down tunnels. Nobody can get home. My chief sister was over there. They were ferrying people over, yeah, yeah. walking over to bridges. Yeah. I think my the worst image I have is the people jumping out of the building. Oh, yeah, yeah. How bad's it got to be? How bad's it got to be for them to jump out of the building? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's... Some people holding hands. What, was it the heat from the fire? Hopelessness. You know, it's if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go. And my my hat's off to those people who did do that. Hopefully they did it as a choice and not the heat just got too much and it sort of just pushed them out. Because rather than go out the way the terrorists wanted you to go out, I'm going to go out my way. Man, that's some courage. And that's that's admirable. We all wish we could go out our own way. I mean, that that to me. I mean, you see pictures, like still shots of people just in the air. And that's not a... I can't even watch that anymore. That's a long ride down. That's a a long ride down. That's a hell of a ride down. But think about it. Think about your mindset. How bad has it got to be? Because you know you're not surviving that fall. Yeah, There's no surviving that at all. Even if you land on a car or something like that, you're coming down from 100 stories up. You know what your fate's going to be. Yeah. That... That, to me, is the most disturbing thing of it. Were, what was their feeling like coming down? Were they screaming? Were they peaceful? Were they, I, you know, you, you try to get into their head. But I don't I don't know if I, I want to. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> um, There's enough going on in my head. I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be in their head because that's it. It's got to be the what, what I think about is what would they think of right before they jumped? You know, after they jumped, they're. Like I said, they know their fate. What was the conversation like? Because they were there with other people. Most of them were. What was the conversation like? Because some people just went down. <laughs> but do you want me to go first? Yeah. You know, I mean, like I said, I, 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 I don't know if it was the intensity of the fire that people couldn't put up with it. Because they said it was, it was like the floors above where the planes hit. They said it was like stifling hot. It was melting. <clears throat> it melted the steel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it, that's how the towers came down. You know, when it was constructed, it was built. I don't want to say in case something like that happened, but the building, if you remember, the building just came straight down. Pancaked, yeah. It didn't lean over. Which was, which was what the terrorists really wanted to do. They, well, in 93 with the bombing, what, you know, people also forget that this, 93, this, yeah. 93, 93 bombing, bombing with the car car bomb what they were trying to do now that i've seen documentaries on what they tried to do is knock one tower into the other so the other one would fall mass casualty yeah. but that's what terrorists do terrorists in my opening uh, i talk about the job of a terrorist because I, I i spoke to my uncle after 9-11 this was this was something that really kind of gave me peace my uncle duke I've spoken about him here. He's plenty pri- of times. Prisoner of war, 27 mm-hmm. months in Germany. He was around Pearl Harbor. Like he knew it all. This is, so I spoke with him and, and I said, uncle Duke, I don't, I don't really know where we go from here. And here's what he said to me. He goes, you can't be afraid. If you're afraid, the terrorists win. They win. Yep. Exactly. Because what a terrorist does is they want to give something that's so 
optically horrifying that it scares you to comply. And that's what they tried to do. They didn't realize that how, how resilient Americans America were. Was, yeah. When you went back to the police department, where, where were you posted? Uh, like I said, after we started going to the hospitals and picking people up, we just went to the uh, the easternmost part of town, which is closest to New York, and just monitoring traffic and you know making sure people weren't bottlenecking and because everybody wanted to go see it. You know, we we have a, a street that it's on a cliff, overlooks New York. I mean, beautiful view of it. Horrifying view that day. Horrifying, yeah, that day. But, you know, I always say people come from around the world to see the New York skyline. When I was in college down in Philadelphia, for the 30 minutes I was in college, guys from, like, Maryland, Pennsylvania, they wanted to come up to my house just so we can go and see the New York skyline. I said it was right in my backyard. You know, we took it for granted. Well, I remember the first time I moved up here from South Jersey. I'd never been to New York. And I'm going into New York going, oh, my God. Like, this is on a level that I've never yeah. understood in my life. And this is, this is coming from Atlantic City. Atlantic City is a pimple on somebody's ass compared to New York City. You know, the gym I go to now sits on a cliff. And you look over and I see the sunrise over New York City every day. You know, and it's just... We take it for granted. I was put on a post. We had some targets in town that there were, there, there were high value targets, although we, and again, we didn't know what was going on. Uh, we had ADP, which does the data processing yeah. for paychecks. So you take out ADP and you take out a lot of paychecks. You cut off everything financially. So they posted me there. I remember people coming up to me, coming out of ADP. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? They're like, Man, I'm just a mushroom. I'm fed shit and kept in the dark. There was no information being disseminated. Nope. You know, just, and like I said, our, the people working a desk at the police department, they were getting decimated with calls. Nobody knew anything. Well, were you working when United Flight 93 went down? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was the next one. And then the one that hit the Pentagon. I forget the name. Of, please forgive me for forgetting the name of uh, or the number of that flight. You know, these these are also things that, mind you, happen worlds away from us but we're, while we're looking at this tragedy up close and personal. See, the, the Pentagon is when I really started getting freaked out. Yeah, they tried to hit the White House. Well, the, actually, Flight United, uh, Flight 93 was supposed to go to the White House and the passengers yeah, took them over. Big giant balls with those people. The one guy said, let's roll. Yep. But the, the one that hit the Pentagon... Like I said, that's when I got scared shit because that's it's the hub of America right there. I always thought it was like impenetrable, you know? Yeah. Like if a plane comes close to it, there'd be a big ball that goes over it and, and stop everything. If you could hit the Pentagon with a plane, you could hit anything you want. Well, it's, it, it really opened our eyes to how vulnerable this country was. How relaxed we were. Yeah. But so you work your entire shift. You all this and stuff starts calming down throughout the day. You know, the no fly zones are put up. All flights are grounded. Everybody's sort of stuck where they are. Well, but they also said there were still flights in the air and nobody knew where they were going. If you remember that. Yeah, I do. I do. Because we didn't know. Was there more on there? Exactly. You know, I mean, four planes went down to the World Trade Center, one in what's it? Shank, 
Shanklersburg, Shanklersburg, Pennsylvania, Shanklersville, or you know one of those villes. And the other one hit the the Pentagon. So that's four planes that hit. And now they were saying there are more planes in the air. Hmm. Regular flights, but we didn't know if they were hijacked. You know, all those, uh, some of those terrorists trained at Caldwell Airport. Yeah, which is right down the street. Mohammed Atta. Yeah. And then here's here's a sad story, and I always felt bad for this officer. So one of the officers apparently stopped one of the hijackers on the way to Newark Airport, but he didn't have nothing on him. And now this guy's got to live with that for I don't know I don't know the guy's name I don't know anything about him. The guy's got to live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah, I could have stopped this whole tragedy. Yeah, you know, and uh, it just hit so close to home when I found out that they they trained right there and they weren't interested in landing. Uh, yeah. <sighs> shouldn't it open your eyes yeah well you go I, home i love to take off but i don't like to land right yeah we're just going to jump out with parachutes. we'll use parachutes don't worry about it when you went home that night what time did you get off work 11 o'clock 11 o'clock. i forget what time i let they let us go like around six or seven o'clock things have pretty much calmed down the president was on the air and spoke and everything what'd you do when you went home i sat down put on the news because i mean during the day after as the day was going on we weren't, weren't really getting much information. You were you starved know. for information. And so I really didn't know. I didn't grasp the severity of it. You know, so I went home. I sat down on the couch and I just put on the news and I just watched like reruns of like I said, the first plane hit and the second plane hit. And, and it was, you just sat there. You're like devastated. How'd you, you like know, to, how'd you like to have been George Bush during that? Now, listen, it's do, not, do you it's, remember when he got told? Yes, he, he was, was read, reading those stories to the kids. Yeah. And whether the you look on his face. This isn't a political discussion, whether you like him or whether you didn't like him. You are the leader of the free world, and you're being told that your country is under, under attack. attack. Yeah. And he, or how about Rudy Giuliani and Bernie Carrick? You know, yeah. The, the, the mayor and police commissioner in New York. Yeah. Your, your city is under attack now. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But to George Bush's credit, I, I know you remember this. It was, uh, was it the World Series? No, it wasn't World Series. It was, it was a Yankees game where he came out. And, and threw out the pitch. And threw out the pitch with body armor on, with a Yankees jacket over top, and threw a nice pitch. To his credit, he threw a nice pitch. But symbolically, what that did for America was gigantic. I, I think it might have been the World Series. That was September, so I don't think, no, it wouldn't have been the World Series. It was a big game. I think it was it was a big game. But there was videos of him. He went in the batting cages under the stadium. I saw it. And Derek Jeter said to him, you better throw a strike. Or this is New York. They'll boo you. Yep. I, I saw that. Yeah, they got video of that. But symbolically, what that did for me, and the stadium was packed. Yep. And what that told me was, you didn't win. We are not afraid. You lost 2,996 people. That day, or the, the couple days prior, and you're out there in the biggest arena in the country. Now, I'm 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 man enough to say that Yankee Stadium is the epicenter of baseball. It always has been, and it always will be since Babe Ruth. And you step out there, guts, and we needed it. Like you said, to a packed stadium. Yep. Like you said, terrorists want to get you to be afraid. Forty thousand people in that stadium weren't afraid. So they really didn't accomplish their main goal because we bounced back right after that. And I mean, it, it was a long road, but do you remember you couldn't buy an American flag? I remember we were waiting in line for American flags. Uh, uh, there was an Annan flag on 46. I, th I think it's Wayne 
or Little Falls, one of those areas. Apollo flag. Apollo flag. Apollo flag. We were waiting in line yep. to get a flag. And you couldn't get anything. This country has never been more connected than they were right after. The sad part is, is as divided as we are now, it's going to, and I hate to say this, but it's 100% true. The only way we're going to get back there is to have a mass casualty incident. Yep, absolutely. To pull everybody together. You don't want to see it happen, but it brings us all together. Because like I said, we, we were never more of a, a, we were more of a community than a country. Because people walking out of there, we, we've all seen the, the pictures, people come walking out of New York City covered in dust. You couldn't tell whether they were black, white, Asian. They were American. Uh, the Puerto That's, Rican. You couldn't tell no. any of them. Everybody was an American. For once in their life, everybody was an American. Yeah. And God, what a beautiful place that was. Out of suffering comes some beauty. Brings us closer together. Correct. You know, and Correct. like I said, that that was, I mean, you know, being a cop back then, everybody loved cops back then. People were stopping and thanking you for what we do. See, I never knew anything but, okay, yeah. but that way of policing after post 9-11. You have an interesting perspective on it. You were a cop for five years prior to 9-11. How did things change for you the way you do business? You know, like I said, people had more respect for you back then. So it was a little bit of an easier time. You know, you had to start dancing around things, though. Like if you pulled over someone that was Arabic or from the Middle East or something like that, you started getting like a little jumpy. I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that that's a good point because there's there was a lot of businesses in this area and a lot of businesses are Indian owned. Indian Absolutely. and Arab are yep. completely different. Indians are are were very friendly towards American and at that time certain I want to point this out, certain Arabic people did not like us. Yeah. For our policies. But like I said there was a couple gas stations in town that were owned by Indians and the guys wore the turbans. They caught a lot of shit. Yeah, they well in in my, in my town they put a sign up that says we are Indian owned. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it's it's very short-sighted, but again, it's judging somebody by the lowest common denominator. These hijackers, they're pieces of shit. Okay, bottom line, is they're and, pieces and of what shit. And you get out of it. 37 virgins, isn't that what they get when they commit suicide or something like that? So that's an interesting point, Mike. <laughs> Let's say Muhammad Atma. We have him in on the Suffering Podcast. He has his reasons. We talked about this on Instagram Live. You have some, you know, it was who who would you, uh, who three people you have dinner with. Well, one of my answers was a really bad megalomaniac throughout history. He was long since dead, rightfully so. He had his justifications, his reasons. Having Muhammad Atma sit across from us, or one of the other people in there, what do, what do you think is going through their minds? Exactly. I mean, what are you really going to get out of this? You, you're going to die. You're, you're a suicide bomber. Yeah. What What's in it for you? I'm, I, I really don't get it. You know, I'm very tied into my faith, and I believe in my faith. But my my faith, there's there's a moral code. And there's a moral code to Islam. Let me make that very clear. This is not terrorists. This is not Islamic terrorists. These are just terrorists because Islam is in a, I, I know Islam pretty well. Islam is a very peaceful religion that mentions Moses, mentions Abraham, mentions Jesus. It's different prophet. All right. Islam, the Quran, does not teach suicide bombing. Yeah, exactly. 
So I, you know, I would just look at him and go, do you have any idea the repercussions and the families that you destroyed? You son of a bitch. Just, you know, like, what were you thinking? What, what did you think this was going to get for you? You know, it's not going to make your country any better. It's actually going to destroy your country because you're, you mess with the U.S., we're going to come after you. So what what did you really think was going to come of this? I, I don't understand it. Well, do you think it was it was funded by certain governments? It's possible. I mean, there's conspiracy theories out about that. There's there's fair amount of proof. I think in one of Saddam's palaces, there was a picture of the World Trade Center on fire, uh, a mural. Um, and then you had Osama bin Laden who was the architect, who was the mastermind behind all of that stuff. Uh, who has about 50 kids. Exactly. And, you know, and, stash of porn. And, you know, he, he was a really good guy. You know, he was really tight. He was doing it all for Allah. But see, that that's what you got you to gotta think about. He's got a whole brood of kids. They were raised by him. Educated in America. But they're born into that terrorism mindset. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say there's going to be another Osama bin Laden. There's always going to be. You cut the head off a snake, yep. another one's coming up. Whether you got ISIS or, or any of those people. I went to, my department sent me to, believe it or not, Aniston, Alabama. Not Jennifer Aniston. It was a weapons of mass destruction class. And they told us terrorists are hard workers, uh, good actors, and they're very patient. He said, who's to say they're not getting a job in every stadium, every football stadium in the country right now? They're good workers. They'll work their way up the chain. They'll start getting more clearance. And they'll say, okay, on, on such and such date, we're going to release like anthrax in the stadium. We're all dead. It's what, 16 stadiums on a Sunday? 32 teams, right? 16 stadiums. They don't, again, they don't care if they die. They'll release anthrax. They'll kill 70 to 80,000 people in, in a pop. Guy said, we can't stop that. But we have to try to prevent it. I'll, I'll bet you they got eyes on every one of those kids. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Now, the U.S.'s reaction, obviously, we went to war, 20-year war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, do you think looking at and playing Monday morning quarterback on this, do you think our reaction was right? Do you think we went the right direction or were we just sort of trying to figure out what was going on? I, I think we, we took a little time to figure it out. You know, I mean, we lost a lot of soldiers over there. I always said, and, and I was shooting from the cuff. I was like, go over there and tell them you have like a week to get out of here. If you don't get out. It would have been another A-bomb. Blow up the whole place. Well, I think you, you're going you're gonna to try to mess with us? We'll turn you into sand, into well, glass. Exactly. And then we'll take it over. Yeah. Be West America, East America, whatever you want to call it. Taking out Saddam Hussein, in my opinion, totally my opinion, was the biggest mistake that America ever made. Because they have a different mindset over there. He He ruled by fear, but you have to rule by fear over there. And when he left, the power vacuum created ISIS. Exactly. And yep. ISIL or and, and, uh, to Al -Qaeda. The Al Qaeda to Taliban. Taliban. And all those things are 10 times worse. It's always better to deal with the devil you know. If you have one ruler, they're going to listen to him. 
once he gets killed, they have 30 different people that are radicalized. Yeah, radicalized, and, and they're going to start their own factions of terrorism. So it's, it's a scary proposition that, you know, it's not if it's going to happen again, it's when. It's when, exactly. It's when. You know, and like I said, that, that's what they told us down in Alabama. You know, we, we can't stop it. We have to try to prevent it. It's a scary thing if you think about it. So 22 years is gone since 9-11. What's your perspective on the whole situation now being so far removed? To be honest with you, it's still fresh in my memory. You know, it's something, like you said, it's a day we'll never forget. It's a life changer. It makes you leery. No, I don't want to say scared, but it makes... Unsafe a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Makes you second guess a lot of things. Like, I still think about how we could have tried to prevent it. Like I said... Do you think we really could have, though? No. I don't think we could have either. But the plane crashing into the Pentagon... That's a, that's the epicenter of the United States. It was trying to go to the uh, 93 was trying to hit the white house and you can't stop that plane. You know, I always thought there was like guns around the thing where a plane was coming, you know, 50 cal guns, like in world war two, they blow up the plane before it hit the building. I mean, that, that to me, like I said, was scary. If I, they, if they could hit the Pentagon, they could hit anything they want. I think now we're a little bit better prepared uh, but 20, 22 years, see, I'm like you, I, it's something I'm never, ever, ever going to forget. I remember what it feels like that day. I remember what I felt like going back to my department, going into this job where it's totally changed. I remember the anxiety. I remember not being able to sleep that night. I remember just being quiet. Like, it, it, do you remember how quiet the atmosphere got? Yeah. Well, you had no planes, right? They wouldn't let planes get off the ground at all. Nobody went to work. Nobody went to work. Everybody stayed home. They were all huddled in their houses. And I, I remember about a week later or whatever it was, when I saw the first plane flying, you know, because North Arlington, Lynnhurst areas in the, the landing pattern for, or the takeoff pattern for Newark Airport and Teterboro Airport. See that first plane up in the sky? You imagine being the first passenger to board a plane when the fly when the flight started going again. You know, as soon as it hits the ground, it's like, oh, thank God. oh my God, <laughs> your asshole could probably <laughs> cut a diamond. He said, "Just seeing that first plane in the air, it was just like I stared at it as it just flew overhead." Just, yeah, thinking something, about something you hadn't seen in a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and what a weapon the plane could be is what I really thought about guy that lived across the street from me was a state trooper and he calls me up a week after the planes hit the world trade center he said a bunch of us are going down to uh state police newark bay station he said we're jumping on a boat and we're going over to the world trade center for the cleanup he goes do you want to go i was off that night i'm like yeah sure let's go so we were actually on what they called the bucket brigade you know, people were cleaning everything out and they had a line of people and they were picking up buckets, you know, putting debris in buckets and passing them down the line. And they'd say like debris. Then they'd say like plane parts. And a couple times they said body parts. Mm. 
So now the buckets come down there. They're going like you know, debris, 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 debris. When they said body parts, you want to look in that bucket, you know, and you, you just look into it and you see like a hand like this. And it was, that was terrible. Seeing a license, you know, any type of personal Paper, paperwork, paperwork yeah. from all the different companies strewn all, all across the ground. I mean, you look down at the paperwork and you see people's names on it. Signatures. Anything personal that passed through your hands had to affect you in a certain way. And what was it like 15, 16 years after, after 9-11, after 2001, they still found yeah. stuff. It was like in a storm sewer or something like that. And I, I have a feeling that that's not over. You know, some people were absolutely incinerated. There's nothing left but dust. But there's probably still some stuff laying around that area. Yeah. I mean, that's why people have such a problem with the at Staten Island, uh, where Clint McGregor went. Mm -hmm. They have a problem with that because they're getting rid of all the stuff. And they're like, there could be body parts in there. You know, could be remains in there. You know, like just a graveyard. Yeah, exactly. And it's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Whether whether they're dust now or whatever, because because when the World Trade Center went down, it pancaked and fell straight down. All those floors fell on top of people. Mm -hmm. So those people are just forever encased. So yeah, it's, it's just sad. Eventually, as we talked about earlier, this uh, an event like this is going to happen again. Somebody like you, and, and I'm not even going to put myself in that situation. You're going to need to advise the younger people who weren't around, who weren't on the job. You got to remember, 22 years ago, if you just got on, you're getting ready to retire. Most of them. Like I said, my son was three months old. He doesn't realize the severity of that. What do you think the advice you give people of the new officers, ha if something like this ever does happen again? Well, you know what? I mean, we were being asked so many questions and we were working so much. We were tired, you know, and you, you tend to get a little grumpy when you're tired. A little short. But people wanted answers. You know, they wanted to know what was going on. And the first thing you do is, is talk to a cop to get the answers. <clears throat> Cops know everything. Of course. Little do they know. We knew very little. Very little. Yeah, we probably knew less than them because we were working and they were watching the news. My whole thing was just be compassionate. You know, because they may have someone in there. I had to make notifications. We had, we had three people from Lyndhurst who were in the World Trade Center. I had to go to, I went to one of the houses and I, I knew the guy's wife didn't know her all that well, but I knew who she was because what happened is, is to get, I guess you could say a head count. You had to file a missing persons report and all that data went, I guess, into New York or whatever. And that's how, the, that's how they calculated how many people are lost. So I go to this guy's house and, and it was right after 9-11. His wife comes to the door and it was around noon or so. She comes to the door. She's still like in a robe. She goes, are you here to give me bad news? What, what do you say to that? They, they just had a son that was born right around my son's birthday. So the kid was three months old. And his father was lost in the World Trade Center. You I, I had to tell her that she had to file a missing persons report. And 
you would ask me a question earlier, and I just, I, I know this is a little out of sorts. You asked me what the most disturbing picture I saw, and it just dawned on me. At Newark Airport, in the parking deck, there were cars that went unclaimed for weeks, and they were passengers on one of the planes. And I re I've seen a picture of that, and you can look it up online. It might be one of the most disturbing, because those people showed up that day to catch an early flight, to go wherever they're going, to get away. Maybe they were going on vacation. Maybe they were going for work. Their cars, they parked their cars. They got out. Maybe a little excitement, maybe a little anxiety, because, you know, if they're like me, I don't like to fly. But that was it. That was the last time they will lock their car. Last time they shut that door. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just weird, you know. Oh, my you, never, you never know. We're coming to the end of this yeah. thing, and um, you know, it, there's a, there's suffering in here. There is, but there's beauty in it. There, so there is beauty in it. Uh, it's hard to see sometimes. What do you think the the suffering of nine eleven has taught you from your own personal experience? I'm going to say after after something like that, we have to be resilient as a as a country. You know, we have to stick together. You know, I don't care. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic. We're fucking Americans. We're Americans. Let's stick together. We bleed red. Everybody bleeds red. Yeah. So. Except them damn Klingons, they bleed green. <laughs> and those Puerto Ricans. <laughs> All right. What do you think that suffering taught you? I'm going to go back to what I learned from my uncle when I was lost and I was just looking for a little bit of direction from somebody who's been there. Somebody who's seen something similar. The only person I could speak to who has seen something similar, another attack on U.S. soil. You can't be afraid. If you're afraid, they the, win. the terrorists did their job. Exactly. That's going to do it for this episode, Mike. Thank God. <laughs> it's, it was a little tough. It was a yeah. little tough. But, you know, we had to do it. Yes, we, we had to do it. I mean, it's just, a, like you said, pay homage to the victims and their families and get a little bit of our own little personal grief out. Yeah, well. absolutely. So that's going to do it for this episode of the suffering podcast, the suffering of nine 11 with Mike and Kevin. And let's think about all the stuff that we've learned. It's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Front row seats aren't always the best. War is just chaos. Policing is different between rescue and recovery. Terrorism only wins when we're afraid, but most importantly, Never, ever, ever forget. That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on all social media. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, OnlyFans. Go to popple.com for a digital business card. Put in the code TSP20 for a 20% discount. And join our subscription channel on YouTube. And once these episodes here, like the one we're recording, are uploaded, you will have access to all of them earlier than everybody else. Don't forget to follow Mike at Mike underscore fillets. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. We're going to see you on the next episode. 